and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw and reputable, where we smash stigmas and break down taboos. I'm your host, Isabella Gosling, and today's episode is with Corin High, founder of the Endo Chats podcast. Corin moved to Australia in 2018, all the way from Hampshire, England. It was then when she started her journey to diagnosis of endo. After suffering for 12 years with heavy, painful periods, back pain, and chronic UTIs. After a two-year battle with medical professionals, she was finally diagnosed with endo in June 2020 through a laparoscopy. She has also since been diagnosed with interstitial cystitis and has undergone a second laparoscopy since. It was in March 2021 on International Women's Day that she launched her very own podcast, The Endo Chats Podcast, with the aim of providing support to those that need it who are living with endo. She hopes to share relevant research and information that provides hope for members of the community and create a positive, safe space for endo warriors all over the world. In this chat, we talk on when Corin began to realise her painful heavy periods and back pain weren't normal, her lengthy journey to getting a diagnosis, Corin's tips for navigating the Australian healthcare system when you're from overseas, all about the Endo Chats podcast and why she wanted to start the pod, how the podcast has been able to create change and help people not just in Australia but all over the world, plus so much more. Now, here's Corin. Corin, welcome to Let's Talk Period. I am so excited to have you on the pod today. I'm also very excited. It feels very weird being the person that's about to be asked questions, not the person asking the questions. I'm taking all the control away from you. I'm sorry. (laughs) I can handle it, I think. I'll let you know if I'm feeling uneasy any point I'll have to report back at the end (laughs) (laughs) I feel exactly the same whenever I have to go onto a podcast I'm like oh no this isn't how this works (laughs) yeah I'll be right I'm fine (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the first question I always ask is what have you done to nourish your body today so can you share with the listeners all about that so I started at seven o'clock this morning and I've just got in the door so um today kind of on a specific I haven't done anything but over the last few weeks I've been cutting completely cutting gluten out of my diet before I was doing it kind of as and when I wanted to if something looked really yummy I would eat it and then if I wasn't that bothered I wouldn't so um I've been making sure that everything I'm eating, even when I'm at work, even when I'm busy, I'm, mi- I'm meal prepping. So I guess maybe that's what I did today. I prepped my lunch, but um, yeah, like cutting gluten out of my diet completely and making sure I'm doing that every day um, has been something that I've done to nourish my body. And it has helped so much. I can't even tell you how much it's minimized the pain that I'm experiencing every day. That's so good. And it's sort of like one of those things that it's like a small action every day, like builds up and creates something habit. really good. Yeah. yeah. For me, I think obviously cutting gluten out of your diet doesn't work for everybody, but I know that over the years I've always experienced extreme bloating and extreme pain when gluten has been present. And it was the next natural thing in order for me to, I think, be healthy but because I just love food and, you know, hot chips and (laughs) 
all the really bad things I wasn't quite ready to do it um but towards the end of the year last year sorry my pain got so bad I just thought right this is what I need to do and it's been really beneficial so I am doing that every day making a conscious effort to do that every day which is nourishing my body for sure and I guess that sort of comes into the next thing which I always ask as well which is all about a toolkit or managing a chronic health condition involves lots of things so there's people items therapies strategies all of the things really when it comes to managing a chronic illness. Is there something in particular that you'd recommend for the listeners to include when it comes to managing their health? I mean, where do you start really? I think anyone with endo kind of or any chronic illness really understands that it's such a learning process. So when I started the process, I didn't know anything And now I feel like I'm quite well versed in being able to advise things that from my personal experience have worked. In terms of physical things, my Spoonie Society heat pack has been an absolute game changer. I don't know if you have one. I do. They are the best. Yeah, they're amazing. (laughs) Um, And just being able to have that heat on me all the time, whether I'm up and or sitting down or if I'm doing whatever I can have I've got the heat available to me is a real um help also the supplements that I take now so I make sure every day I take vitamin d b12 vitamin c echinacea now that the old corona is going around um and yeah making sure I'm eating really healthy so that my diet there's minimal processed food minimal sugar um, minimal gluten no sorry no gluten and no dairy um, I guess they're all the kind of physical things and also actually pelvic floor exercises and stretching has helped me so much I didn't realize how like tight my hips were until I started trying to stretch them out um, and you know I've always been pretty flexible when I was younger and I just think I thought that I still had that flexibility <laughs> but I'm like nearly 30 and like definitely should be stretching every day um so I guess yeah there's some of the physical things that you can do um in terms of people I think the main thing for me is having a support network I live in Australia I'm originally from England so unfortunately my family are back in the UK but I'm really lucky that I'm so close with my mum and my sister and my brother in the if there's anything going wrong or if I need any advice they are like literally at the end of the phone in Australia I have my partner Toby who you know before we met knew nothing really about endo but has you know taken the time to learn and become also well versed in what's going on there was actually um we were on the bus to a festival a couple of weekends ago and my pain reared its ugly head as it does when you drink alcohol sometimes unfortunately Mm. um so I was kind of waiting for the painkillers to kick in but I was visibly in pain and crying someone kind of asked you know what's going on and he just went off on this like information rant about like this is what she has this is what's happened the last two years blah, blah 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 and I was looking at him just like oh my god you're amazing he just knew everything he was like got me my painkillers got me my water um and you know was ready to hop off the bus if I needed to hop off the bus and that's like what you need in the people around you obviously 
I guess medical professionals are important, but from my experience, I don't think that in terms of like support, they really offer anything. Mm. Um, and having, you know, my partner's family as well be really understanding. And my boss is like, he is a man, um, but he knows when I'm on my period. He knows when I'm having a bad week because my pains are really bad. So, yeah, that's my most important thing people-wise is just like try and find those people that really do care about what's going on and, you know, are going to take the time to be supportive. Mm, for um, sure. Strategies, I guess. I haven't really been putting in place many strategies I'm very lazy (laughs) so and that's like a thing that I'm realizing is I'm I'm very like lazy in terms of motivation unless I see something working straight away I kind of tend to just let it go but I guess one of the strategies is like making sure that I am stretching at least three or four times a week yeah that would be a strategy yeah definitely yeah so they're the kind of things I think are super important when we're managing our health um yeah and trying to keep on top of all the things that come with having endo I guess Mm. oh and your partner just sounds like an absolute angel love that he's got the spiel ready to go he is an absolute angel I will you know no one's perfect but he is pretty (laughs) pretty far on being you know my knight in shining armor I guess you might say but um yeah no he's awesome and it's just so nice having someone that understands like if I've had a really bad day I get back in and my heat packs in the microwave and I don't need to worry about it like um I've just been prescribed medicinal cannabis um to help with my pain so if he knows I'm having a high pain day he'll get that ready for me and like that's there and also ready for me to use he's very understanding if I can't do something because I'm in pain um he's yeah he is really good it's not often you find somebody that knew nothing about something and within the amount of time knows as much as he does about explaining to other people what Mm. is going on with me so it is nice but I've never heard him talk about it before so when he started like because normally it's me in the situation. I'm like such an advocate. As soon as I'm drunk, it's the first thing I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm like, everybody needs to know about this. Um, Have you heard about endo? <laughs> I know. And everyone's like, no. And I'm like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> um, just because, you know, what it's like when you've had a few drinks. Um, but, yeah, so when I was listening to him talk, it was, yeah, it was super sweet to know that he's taken on board the things that I've experienced. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. And definitely like needed. You need that person to sort of be your advocate when you might not be in the best place to advocate for yourself. So it's good to know that you do have that support person there. Thank you. It's nice. Yeah. So as we've sort of mentioned already, you have been diagnosed with endo and prior to that, you were suffering with painful periods, really heavy periods, chronic UTIs and really bad back pain for 12 years, I think it was. And that was before receiving a diagnosis for endo. Did you always think that these things were normal or did you know these things weren't normal? What was that like? And was there a point where you were like, okay, enough's enough. I really need to get some help for this and try and figure out what is going on. 
it's really weird when I hear it read out like that. Like this is what I was experiencing for, yeah, 12 years before I was diagnosed. But that's, yeah, that's true. So I started my period when I was 14 and I was instantly just in like so much pain. I don't know if I'm sure everyone's done this that has endo, but I used to stand in the shower with the heat of the water turned right up and just hold it on my stomach while I was like Mm -hmm. vomiting at the same time from the pain. I'm sure anyone listening that has endo has done something like that in the past, but that was kind of my life. So every month to one or two days off of school. Um, but I, it wasn't, I thought it was normal. It's just that nobody really said anything. And then my mum was kind of like, Hey, this isn't right. But we didn't go to the doctor or anything because I think we were both just of the opinion, like nothing will be done there's nothing that can be done it's just a painful period and I think a lot of people did think I just had a really low pain threshold it was only when I started getting tattoos that people realized I don't actually have a low pain threshold like I have the tops of my feet tattooed and I sat there six hours like I'd have quite a high pain threshold um and it kind of went on like that and then it I had the chronic UTIs I've always had chronic UTIs and then when I got to uni, uh, so I was 21, 20 or 21, my pain just like skyrocketed and I was missing lectures and I wasn't able to go to work. And the people that I was um, living with, who is one of them's now like my best friend and isn't here in Australia with me, she would be like looking after me and it was just intense. And I actually went on a skiing holiday with somebody and while I was on the skiing holiday, I was really struggling and um, she had just been diagnosed with endometriosis. And she said to me, Corin, I think what you have is endo. Before that, I'd never heard of it. So we're already, what, six, seven years in. Never mm-hmm. heard of it. And then when I got back from the skiing holiday, had exams, I didn't have time to go to the doctor. And I took the time out after exams and went. And I said, look, I think what I have is endometriosis. And she looked me dead in the eye. She's like, no, it's definitely not. Like, endo, it's not really a thing. It's really rare. No one really has it. I think you're just jumping to conclusions. But in case you do, we'll put you on the IUD. And to be fair, I mean, I did um, end up in A&E two days later because I went into shock. My uterus went into shock. But after that, I didn't have any pain for probably about three or four years. Um, so I was pain free and I just thought in my head, I thought, oh, I was, you kind of like look back and you convince yourself that you thought it was worse than it was, but it, it was actually okay. And you kind um, of forget how bad it was and you're like, oh no, it couldn't have been that bad. Exactly. And yeah, I kind of was just like, oh, this is it now. And then I got to Australia and the first week I got here, my, the pain in my lower back was like excruciating and I've had kidney infections in the past and I had been sexually active so I thought that maybe I'd got a UTI or something and so I went to the doctor and he did a full he did full tests and I went back a week later to get the results and I thought I was going to pick up my antibiotics and he called me into the waiting room and he said there's nothing wrong with you and I was like what do you mean there's nothing wrong?" And he was really annoyed at me and I was hysterical because I was like what do you mean there's nothing wrong with me it was like the pain in my lower back and my abdomen is is insane like I can't 
can't move I can't do anything like I'm just covered in hot water bottles all the time this was you know pre-spoony society yeah Um, (laughs) before we had that invention yeah before (laughs) yeah before that was invented for us um and yeah he just said there's nothing wrong with you he said have you been through any trauma recently and I had just been through a particularly bad breakup um and he said I think that your trauma from moving to another country and your bad breakup is causing you to show it in a physical form I'm going to prescribe you antidepressants and anti-anxiety tablets and I think you should take those and go and see a psychiatrist and then come back if your pain doesn't go away and I have actually got in my medical notes he's written hysterical um and then uh what's the other thing he's written something about like chronic depression and chronic anxiety so then when I went to try and get prescribed medicinal cannabis obviously there's a rule isn't there that you you've had depression or anxiety and I was trying to explain to the woman on the phone I was like this was the situation and hands down her response was don't worry about it we get this all the time because she's seen it so often that women have in their notes like depression anxiety but in their road to being diagnosed um so it didn't affect me on that but it is on my medical records now so you know that's an important thing to note though because I think that's something that does deter people um because they do think they'll get denied just to switch into cannabis chat briefly but yeah yeah. no it is important to remember that like if you can explain and you can hold your own then which I did then you will be okay um but yeah and I kind of just ignored it I just took painkillers I'm not gonna lie I I drank a lot not necessarily for that reason but I think maybe subconsciously when I was drunk I wasn't in pain it was only the next day and then I just kind of go out again and I know that that's not healthy and I got myself into a lot of debt and I was just in such a bad place and then I did the Everest base camp trek while yeah suffering pretty badly and um I got back and I just kind of was like enough is enough I can't do this anymore there's got I think it's endometriosis I've been doing research I've been telling people that that's what I had but I felt so at a loss to do anything because at every turn I'd just been denied I was honestly probably on antibiotics every other week for a UTI um and then I I can't remember which way round it worked, but I, it was January, it was the year of the bushfires and it was like bushfires and then COVID. Yeah. 2020 Um, then. Yeah. So 2020, the beginning of 2020, I met my current partner, Toby. And within three months of meeting him, um, I think being, sorry, if this is too much information, but I think regularly sexually active, um, kind of meant that I was in a bit more pain than usual um and I would get home from work and also the stress of the COVID situation I think definitely had a part to play Mm. um I lost my house I lost my job I was like teetering on having to go home um and I was in pain I was staying with him and I was in pain and covered in heat packs and I think he was just like this isn't normal like what are you doing so I went to my doctor and I just said a different doctor. Yeah, not <laughs> um, that one. And I was oh my just, gosh. <laughs> well, this doctor, so I had to go back to the same doctor. This same doctor told me that what I had was herpes, even though she hadn't done a full STI check. She just assumed that it was herpes. And she told me to do a full STI check and she wouldn't refer me to a gynecologist until I'd come back clear, even though I'd already had one. But she literally sat me down and said, you have herpes. And so I went to my partner and said, 
this is what my doctor said. And he was like, Corin, have you had the results back yet? I'm like, no, but she's a doctor, right? She knows. And he's like, let's just wait and see what comes back. And obviously it really came back fine. And then she referred me to a gynecologist. And I walked into the gynecologist's room and I literally just burst into tears. And she was like, we'll do surgery. Um, so we did my first surgery on the 24th of June, 2020. And I probably had about three months, four months of no pain. And then uh, November 2020, my pain came back and I had an internal uh, pelvic ultrasound and they actually found that the endo had regrown all around my left ovary and was sticking my bowel together. Um, and it was like all behind. Um, and yeah, it was, it was back again. So, uh, and then during that time I was also diagnosed with interstitial cystitis and the age old myth that you should drink cranberry juice when you have a UTI was causing me to have more cystitis because something that irritates cramp that irritates cystitis is cranberry juice. So I was like, thing. I was like giving myself chronic cystitis without knowing because nobody really knows what interstitial cystitis is. So as soon as I stopped, I cut those things out of my diet, it was fine. Um, and then, yeah, I had the coil taken out and I had the Kylina put in. The Kylina didn't do anything. It made my skin really bad. Um, and it, yeah, the pain was worse, if anything. So then I had my second surgery in uh, September this year and I had the Kylina taken out and the IED put back in. And I would say the last three weeks, I've only just started to feel like I've, I'm benefiting from the coil and the laparoscopy. So what's that? October, November, December, five months. Yeah, six months. Mm. So it takes a lot because I think people forget how intense like surgery is and you only get really like a week off work and then it's, you know, back to it. But it's a lot to recover from. We were in the middle of the lockdown and I can't work during a lockdown. So and I was thankful I got in the week before they shut elective surgery here. Um, but not being able to go out or do anything or see any of my friends and literally just being bed bound, not being able to work, relying on the government for support. It was just, yeah, it really did a number on my mental health, if I'm being quite honest. And I think I'm only starting to feel the effects of that now because, you know, you need time to reflect on things and yeah it's what well, I'm now taking you know I am now taking tablets for anxiety but you know not anything huge but it was just a lot to go through from the age of 14 to you know what oh, two years ago. exactly it's massive and then also there's so many other impacts that come into play like you said COVID nobody ever expected something like that to happen and the flow-on effects from that have been astronomical like even just having that support system taken away and all of like your sort of coping mechanisms, so to speak, they get sort of taken away in the pandemic and when there is lockdowns because you can't really do the things that sort of help to keep you afloat. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And even just like being in hospital on my own both times, I didn't, I wasn't able to have anyone there and, you know, you ask anyone back in England or my mum or anyone, I have like this 
just overwhelming fear of being in a hospital. It makes me shake. It makes me panic. And I, for the, you know, for the first time, I didn't have anyone that could support me and I was in a different country and it was, yeah, the first time was horrible. It was, I woke up and the, I was so feeling so sick from the um, anesthetic and nobody came and saw me. Nobody told me how it had gone. I didn't even get a phone call until three days later. So I had no idea how bad it was. I didn't get any pictures to kind of show what went on. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, how am I allowed to be treated like this? And the nurse actually said to me in the hospital, because I said, like, I don't feel like I can go home. And she was like, look, back in the day, we wouldn't send people home for five or six days. But because painkillers have got so strong now, that's why we're able to send people like you home. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So you're just going to dose me up so that you can have another bed, like, rather than keep an eye on me. I've just paid $5,000 for this surgery, like, and you can't even keep me in for an extra day to make sure I'm okay. Well, that's something I wanted to touch on as well, because you moved from the UK to Australia and whilst the health systems are like similar, they're not the same. So that would just be overwhelming to begin with because you're navigating something completely new. What was that like trying to figure that out and navigate the system here compared to back home? At the beginning, it was really difficult because for those people that don't know, we have the NHS, which is um, supposed to be completely free at the point of use. It's not so much anymore. Thank you, Bryce Johnson. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so back home, if I ever needed to go to the doctor, there was no out of pocket fee, which is great. Uh, Prescriptions, yes, but very minimal. Um, And certainly not if you were in hospital you just were treated that's kind of how it was but the waiting lists for a lot of things publicly were were really long and kind of have just got worse since then Mm. um I don't know what the waiting lists now are for people waiting for laparoscopy but I have been advised that it's almost two years from somebody that is currently going through it so it is a very long time um when it was decided that I definitely needed surgery I had only just got private healthcare and um, AHM didn't cover what I needed to have done. And I just switched to student healthcare and they said I needed a grace period of 12. I had to have been with a health fund for 12 months. So they weren't and wouldn't cover anything. Now being a backpacker in the middle of a pandemic um, that's just lost her job (laughs) and is homeless, (laughs) I was great combinations (laughs) and remember the first lockdown in Melbourne we didn't get any support from the government we were expected to go home because this wasn't our country um so thankfully I'm really really blessed and lucky that my mum and my family kind of clubbed together and they put forward the money for me to be able to have the surgery Um, I know that some people aren't lucky enough to have that, um, but I was and I am. So that was how I was able to manage the first surgery. And then the second surgery, um, a lot of it was covered by my private health insurance this time. But my mum, again, did help with the out-of-pocket cost. Um, 
I don't know why, but that's just something that she wanted to do, which I'm so thankful for. I think being a parent, you always want to make sure that your kids are okay. And yeah, I think she feels a level of responsibility. Um, But I didn't know anything about bulk billing. I didn't know anything about how prescriptions worked. My, I didn't know anything about Medicare. I literally just had to kind of get here. When I got here, I just kind of Googled it all, went into Centrelink, got my Medicare card, and then asked the lady at the desk to go through with me. I was like, <laughs> like, what can I have? What does it mean? She's like, and I have a Belgian passport, but I was born in England. So that was a whole other thing. But thankfully, you know, I do have Medicare. So if you find a good bulk billing, and I've now found, thanks to Don from the Spoon Society, a really awesome bulk billing GP here in Melbourne, who is just like amazing. And I wish I'd found her at the beginning. But if you can find a really good bulk billing doctor, then it's then it's great. And then if you make sure when you get to Australia, you start your private health insurance and all you need is, you know, your 12 month grace period and the insurance I'm looking at at the moment it's called Phoenix and it's tailored specifically to women with chronic or people sorry with um chronic health conditions so if anyone is looking then have a look at that one it's quite expensive each month but it does cover everything so yeah it's important because yeah exactly private health insurance I think and it's horrible because a lot of people can't necessarily afford it but it is something that does tend to speed up that process and avoids that delay because, like you said, with NHS, Medicare in Australia have like a similar waiting period depending mm-hmm. on what category you sort of fit into, especially with like category two and three surgeries getting delayed due to COVID and such. So, yeah, I think if you can afford private health insurance, it's definitely something that is so worthwhile because it just does make things a little bit easier. It definitely does help. And you can find, you know, health insurance companies out there that aren't as expensive as others that even just will cover hospital fees because that's where a lot of the cost comes. Um, and, you know, some surgeons, even if you have private health insurance, don't kind of work with that system. So even if you can just find hospital cover or ambulance cover, just having ambulance cover so that if you're in pain, you can get yourself to the hospital quickly without worrying about someone coming home and waiting because that could be the difference, you know, between if you've burst something, you know, it could be the difference between life or death sometimes as we've seen recently, you know, with what's gone on. Um, So just making sure you're covered is really important. Mm, Definitely. Um, That's, a really important thing because I know not every state needs ambulance cover but I know I think it's Victoria and New South Wales that need ambulance cover um whereas like, yeah, I live in Queensland and we have ambulances they're just included like for public health so that's one barrier that you don't need to worry about having to sort of pay for the ambulance because but that's something that also deters people <laughs> I'm moving I'm gonna tell my partner come up here yeah. <laughs> we've got to move up there so I don't have to worry about ambulance cover <laughs> yeah but yeah if you are in those states and I don't know about the other states but I definitely know New South Wales and Victoria do have that cover if you can just pay for that, you're so right because otherwise you do sort of teeter on like when's bad enough to be considered an emergency and having a cyst burst and that 
pain can just be absolutely excruciating and having to wait hours for someone to come and get you so you can get to the hospital instead of making that call straight away yeah I think also it comes down to feeling like you're worth that like I think a lot of people don't or some people don't put their health first like my AHM cover which was just ambulance and my optical and dentist and physio I pay $14 every two weeks so it's $7 a week but I know that if I need it I can use it and it's just putting that like worth on yourself and taking that stress away from you some people don't think that they're worth sacrificing things for but you absolutely are and if you are somebody with a chronic condition like you need to make sure you're putting your health first oh I could not agree more and your health is one of the best investments you can make and I often used to get really upset, this is a bit of a tangent, but I used to get really upset because I'd have to be spending so much money on my health compared to what my friends used to have to. And I'd have like hardly any money to spend on like the fun sort of things um, because I'd be spending so much money going to different appointments and et cetera. But it's sort of like where your values lie and this is really important to manage my lifestyle so I can go and do some of those fun things instead of doing none of the fun things because then I actually wouldn't even be able to do anything because I'd just be in pain all the time and in bed so I think yeah it's a bit of a mindset shift to like you're important and you're worth it exactly yeah 100% we're on the same wavelength (laughs) yeah (laughs) what would you go back and tell your pre-diagnosis self I have endometriosis (laughs) you do have it yeah yeah that's like I think that's what I tell myself is like and I actually asked this question on my podcast first I asked people you know if you could give anyone advice what would it be and everyone says you know believe that you're not crazy which I guess is the same like you do have endometriosis and like that's what that's what's wrong and you're not you're making it up in your head and you're not depressed and you're not anxious and I mean at that time (laughs) Mm. (laughs) um but yeah just I think I would have also I was so naive when it came to medical professionals and this isn't me bagging all doctors, nurses or whatever, because I know that a lot of them do a great job and I have friends that are nurses and yeah, this is, but they are not gods. They're not people that know everything and they make mistakes and you are absolutely entitled to get a second opinion. If you don't feel like you're being listened to or you're not being heard you get as many opinions as you want to get like that is your right and that is your prerogative um and I would have told myself to start saving more money ready that's yeah get ready (laughs) so that I can just have a surgery like that and I can just spend four hundred dollars on cannabis like you know I am definitely not in a great fight like you know full transparency not in a great financial situation given the last you know two or three years um last week I had to take uh, four days off work I only worked two days so and I'm casual so I don't get paid for those days I don't work so I would definitely advise myself to start saving up a fund towards being able to manage a chronic illness better 
Yeah, I think that's a really good tip just in general to try and have that sort of nest egg set aside, especially when you are a casual worker because it's so unpredictable when you do need that time off. Yeah, you never know when it's going to come. And I was fine for the first three. I went back to work on the fourth and for the first three weeks I was fine. And then the week of my period came and one of the days I was in pain, one of the days I've got a migraine, which I haven't had in like years, but is, you know, obviously associated with the change in the hormones. I'm imagining what's happening at the moment is my coil is coming into play as well, because it can take four to six months for that to kind of kick in. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, last week, uh, even this week I had a day off, Monday I was off as well. I accidentally ate gluten and I was just in so much pain it was like running down my legs and I do a job where I stand on my feet all day and it just wasn't possible so yeah I definitely would have saved a bit more money (laughs) but that's okay I'm still young I'm 28 you know what I mean like I've got time so anyone that is kind of just starting out with their diagnosis or if anyone's listening that thinks that something is wrong I go into your bank account open up a I call it my surgery account um, call it whatever you want, but like just start putting like 20 bucks into that every week or every whatever, um, because you'll thank me for it later. <laughs> yeah, that is such a good tip. <laughs> One that you shouldn't need to use, but anyway, we and do. If you don't reality. use it, then you know, you've got that and you can treat yourself like, you know, if, yeah, if you get, like I say, if you don't end up using it, you've got it and you can treat yourself to something nice. Mm. But at least if you have it, then it takes that element of stress away, which is good for your overall health, right? We want to be minimizing our stress as much as we can because it's a huge trigger for people with a chronic illness. Exactly. Now, at the start, we did mention that you're normally the one doing the hosting. So you launched the Endo Chats podcast last year on International Women's Day. What made you want to start a podcast and how did the idea sort of come about? Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I love talking. (laughs) Um, Had not guessed. (laughs) Yeah, I love talking and I love talking about things I'm passionate about. My job, I work for charities and I talk all day, every day. And I was starting to learn a lot about endo and I was starting to learn a lot about the gaps and I was starting to kind of figure out that there or from what I could see now there is obviously like heaps of people that are doing amazing things for the chronic illness community and endo specifically but I could only really find a few um, pages that were giving regular information and information that wasn't just directed at the people with the illness the people that are around the people that have the chronic illness are really, really important as well. And so I wanted to create a resource where you could find someone's story or you could find a supplements episode or you could find a diet episode next to you know, all those kind of stuff where someone could just go on and listen and they wouldn't feel alienated. We're not using medical jargon and they could just come and find information. And also, as I said previously, I'm pretty lazy, right? So I needed <laughs> a way to be able to motivate myself to do the research because it can be really, really taxing and it can actually be quite triggering. You know, a lot of the books and the things that we read or the things that we digest are awful stories mm. about how there's no cure. 
you know, people dying from what we have, the lack of research, like all of infertility for some people, you know, all of that can be so triggering for, for people that I wanted to kind of have a space where we talked about stories but we also talked about what works for them and how do they manage it so that if somebody is listening and they hear something that they haven't tried, then they can go and do that. And then it would be a motivation for myself as well to keep trudging through that, like, you know, muddy lake of information and giving what I could to people. And it helped me a lot in figuring out what you know different things that I could try I didn't even know about pelvic floor physio until I did a podcast episode with someone that was having pelvic floor physio and I was like oh what's that and then I went and tried that myself you know the Spoonie Society heat packs the chat that I did at the very beginning with Amelia she was talking about the different pills and stuff that she was on and like you know there's so many things I've learned from different people so it was kind of like a way of helping myself too I guess and then um I just was like right I'm gonna turn this into a resource and now we have a website and we have people that come on and write blogs and yeah I haven't done a podcast episode in a while um what kind of happened is I got very overwhelmed <laughs> and <laughs> launched a few episodes of season two and then got COVID and Christmas happened and I was studying full-time and working full-time and I just couldn't do it all. And so the only thing I could drop was the podcast, but it is coming back. So it hasn't, nothing's been released for a while, but it is coming back, I promise. <laughs> all right. Just a mini hiatus. And like you said, you had a lot going on. And if anybody gets that, it's the people who do have endo, they totally know what that's like. And I don't think that your community or audience will mind at all. When I come back, it will be great. I'm, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that it will be. And I love that you do sort of have that not positive because it's not like a positive thing to have endo, but focusing on what can you do, what helps you and sort of bring that to the forefront in those episodes because it does give that resource of people going and trying things they might not have tried because they've heard somebody else talk about it on the podcast and just gives them another outlet because I don't know about you, but I feel like when I'm listening to a podcast, it's literally like I'm chatting with friends, even though I'm not doing chatting while I'm listening, but it feels like I'm listening to a conversation with friends. So I completely love that you also are in podcast land and that you've made such an incredible resource for the endo community. Thank you. That's so lovely. I think for me as well, like the Instagram, like the messages I get in my inbox from people with endometriosis that have listened to an episode or they haven't necessarily understood something or they want a little bit more information or they just want to say thank you. Like I live for that. I want to help as many people as possible. Like literally the other day, someone that knew somebody that had just been diagnosed, like gave them the podcast and then they sent me a message and then they messaged me to say when they were having their first surgery and they'd used my like resource online of like what to ask the surgeon and then they were going in for surgery and then I checked in with them afterwards and they're like feeling great and just that process of knowing that I played a part in them because they weren't sure that they were going to you know even go for surgery they weren't sure how to approach it and just being able to empower somebody to advocate for themselves and to take control um, and let them know that like they're not alone 
that you can message me if you have any questions or you're worried about anything um yeah I live for it I just think it's the most amazing thing and it's the community like I've been gone now I haven't been on my Instagram for uh December January two months and I've had a few people reach out and message me um like Brooke um just recently messaged me saying um hey just wanted to check in and like make sure you were okay like I've never met her in my life in in real life right but she still reach out reaches out and wants to make sure I'm all right and I think that is something that the endo community has that is amazing um and you know you and I for example you know we've had chats prior to this Mm. podcast and I feel like you're a friend um even though you know you live in Queensland and I live in Melbourne yeah it's like yeah it's something that I'm really not I'm not pleased that I have endo but I'm pleased that it's for you know people like you into my life who have just so much you know added value yeah I was gonna ask what a highlight was but I feel like you've just honestly that shared my highlight. highlight yes you guys are my highlight yeah. honestly. Oh. So- and I feel exactly the same way and it's like the worst club with the best people because yeah, the people just make it honestly <laughs> I think yeah I think a lot of us are also of the mindset like if you don't laugh you cry and it makes us also you know those people that like nothing is ever too much information and I just love that because I've never found those people but people with a chronic illness are my people yeah, you they're our people <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there were that was like you're so crude you always talk about stuff I'm like well that's what you have to do when you've got chronic illness you know how many times I've had something shoved on my vagina <laughs> exactly that's it you just sort of have to come out of it and not tiptoe around there's yeah. no time for taboo no there's no time to not talk about it <laughs> yeah I love it it's great oh. I know you mentioned that the podcast is coming back soon, but what else are you hoping to sort of do with the Endo Chats podcast and the community that you've built as well? I'm hoping to organise an event. So I would love to be doing my first live event at some point this year. Not sure when that's going to happen yet, um, but I'm really keen, as you know, to kind of get that ball rolling. I really want to organize a beach meetup before the summer kind of rolls out. I've really found solace in going to the beach and being in the sea. I don't know if you have this, but when I'm in the ocean, I feel weightless and it's almost like I forget that I have Mm. endo it's so weird and just like being on the beach is so relaxing so just that sense of calm kind of like washes over you yeah and I mean the beaches in Melbourne aren't as nice as beaches in Queensland um (laughs) but it's something and I would really like to try and organize that at some point soon as well and get just like you know a group of of people together and you know spend the morning on the beach and go for coffee or whatever and just meet up and have a chat so yeah that's and obviously building on the website there's going to be heaps more people writing blog posts I've honestly got people wanting to write stuff it's just me that's like (laughs) I haven't got the capacity right now it's hard when you're the one spinning all the plates I know and it's like you know the blog post is written and it's the editing and I'm not saying like it's fully my choice to do it but yeah so lots more resources lots more episodes a few meetups hopefully a live event that's the kind of where I see it going this year for 2022 so it is really exciting I just need to yes 
put my finger on my bum. It just makes me wish I lived in Melbourne. I would love to come along to the beach meetup. <laughs> I mean, I would say come down, but it's a bit of a way for you to just come it's for a It's so morning. hard right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, when is. COVID is not so much of like an issue, I will be down in Melbourne and we'll get to meet in person. Yeah, it'll be so exciting. You should come down for the week and we have a spare room. So you can come down. I'll organise a meetup for that weekend and I'll yes. show you around. And the Spoonie Society girls would love it, I'm sure, as well. Yes. Yeah, oh, my gosh. I feel, oh, yeah, there's all of the endo people in Melbourne and I'll just need like a whole week to Literally, come and meet yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. So true. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, on that, what would you like to see change within the pelvic health space? I, this is such a huge question and I don't know if there's enough time to answer it fully, but I would really love to see more groups in schools. I think that's where, so my background's in education and it has been for the last 10 years. And I think a lot of the things that we take through into adulthood, topics of conversation, how we feel about talking about things comes from what we talk about in school with our friends, with our teachers. And I think that in order for things to change for us as a community, that experience problems with our pelvic health, the conversation needs to start way back. And um, women, girls, people that identify as female, whoever specifically need to be given the tools to be able to know, you know, what is going on inside of them. For example, what do we call our vaginas? We call them a vagina, right? But it's not a vagina. It's a vulva and it's a clitoris Mm -hmm. and it's a vagina and it's all of the things, right? So just little things there. So we know how our anatomy works. And then what are the things that could go wrong? Not that they will go wrong, but but what could go wrong? And then how do you have a conversation with your mum or your dad at 13 or 14 years old? And you say, you know, there are some parents that are just single dad families. So how... If, if a person felt that they had the language, a lot of stuff comes down to language and it comes, mm. and you know, it come, it, it's important to empower people with the right language so they can say what's going on. And then once that conversation starts happening in, in that area, then you bring the other people outside of that area in as well. So you bring the people that will never probably experience that but they're hearing about it and they're talking about it. So when people start entering into relationships and this is where a lot of the conversations happen, right? Because you talk to your partner about things that you wouldn't talk to your parents about or your friends about because at that age, you know, it's everything. And that way your partner can say, oh, I actually learn about this and I think we should go and talk to this person and so then that person doesn't feel on their own. I don't know if that any of that makes sense and I might just be rambling. But No, it completely makes sense because knowledge is power and that language is so important. And people with forget. that education as well, it just becomes, you know, empowering for people to have those tools to actually have a conversation. And people forget how important language is. I am somebody that tries my best to consider everything that I say for that reason, because as soon as you give somebody 
a way of saying things and expressing themselves and advocating for themselves it just changes so much and I also think that doctors and nurses should be educated on obviously all chronic health illness is better but for me personally endometriosis I've hands down met nurses that don't know what endometriosis is um and I just think you know women's health or sorry pelvic health in general is what a tiny sector of what doctors and nurses are taught about when it should be a huge thing we give birth to children for god's sake like Mm. we should be at the forefront we're literally birthing the next generation why are you not teaching them everything (laughs) right yeah Um, yeah so i'm really passionate about it and it's something that i'd love to do in the future i don't know if i could do it on my own because i don't think i'm i'm educated enough yet but i would love to kind of join forces with somebody and get that rolling and get out into schools across Australia and all over the world because I think it's so 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 important definitely is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners today I don't think so I think I was thought I was going to struggle but as per (laughs) you I just love talking so more of an apology if I've rambled (laughs) no not at all you have been so giving of your experiences and I am so thankful for that and I just want to say thank you for coming on Let's Talk Period. It has been absolutely wonderful to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period with Corin High. If you want more from Corin and the Endo Chats podcast, you can follow her on Instagram at the Endo Chats podcast or You can find the Endo Chats podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so Apple, Spotify, or any other place. If you want to keep updated with all things Let's Talk Period, you can follow us on Instagram at Let's Talk Period AU. Don't forget that we also have our Let's Talk Period community over on Facebook. All the details are in the show notes or just search Let's Talk Period Community into the search bar on Facebook. It is the place for people living with endo, adeno, or PCOS to get support, connect with others, and just be around people who get it. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, I would love if you could share it with a friend or family member or even share that you're listening on your Instagram stories or grid. It just really helps to find new listeners and grow the Let's Talk period audience, which is especially important as an independent podcast when it's just me, myself, and I running all of the bits and pieces behind the scenes. Other than that, I will be back in your ears on Monday for a brand new solo episode all to do with Adeno for Adenomyosis Awareness Month. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes and the information, recommendations and topics talked about do not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.